Hello, I'm Samia Arya. I'm the founder of the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology and the FemPeak platform, with the mission of raising women's socioeconomic status. Our guest on today's podcast is Caroline Dodd Higgins, the author of This Is Not the Career I Ordered. For the past 20 years, Caroline has been an influencer in the career and professional development arena. She's also had a super interesting journey herself, and you should definitely check out her podcast, which is called Your Work. Life. So here's my conversation with Caroline Dodd Higgins. First of all, I would really like to have you on one of our panels. Usually I talk to panelists uh, over a podcast afterwards. And so I wanted to basically uh, get your opinion on that and then hopefully have you also on the panel so we can discuss. That topic is right up my alley and I would be honored to be on that. So you let me okay. know you need me to fill out the application i'm happy to do that yeah just it's not it's not so much of an application more like a submission of your proposal of what yeah. you're going to talk about because what i do is then i try to create an arc a conversational arc of story you know like uh, so that it doesn't feel like disjointed so that's why that helps me having that basically so caroline i listened to your ted talk and uh, it seems like you're doing some amazing work with not just women with people in regards to the career path and, and you know the future of work and, and how to formulate their journey and as you know i've also written a book about the future of work so i thought this could be a really good conversation from two women who have written books about the future of work so can you tell me a little bit about why you wrote the book that you wrote i know that you did say you did tell your amazing story during the ted talk but for people who may not have heard it, heard it so tell me that story very roughly you know with regards to your journey in music and then i will also share my journey in music i don't know if i told you last time we spoke but uh, i'm telling you so. good i'm eager to hear your story as well so me thank you for having me I'm, I'm delighted to have this conversation with you today yeah it's an interesting journey you know i was a very focused uh young woman uh, in, in high school, uh, growing up in the United States. I was in uh, the church choir, I was in theatrical productions, and I knew at a very early age that I wanted to be a performer. And I went on to college and university and earned degrees in music and had a very linear focused plan. And I, I graduated from university with degrees and I went on to perform and I, I was an opera singer. I speak multiple languages and I had great success for many years singing in Europe and also in the United States. And then things started to change. And I share with you in a very vulnerable way, the career that I loved was not what I thought it was. It became very difficult to earn a living consistently. We talk about feast or famine. There were many feasts where I was performing and earning uh, well, and then there were more times where it was very difficult to make ends meet. And in the performing world, there are a lot of responsibilities on the soloist for an accompanist, a coach, all of these other things. You had to keep up with voice lessons. So I was putting more money in than I was earning. And that was really tough for me. Uh, thank you for referencing my TEDx talk. It was really a difficult time because this was my dream. This was my passion. I can say with humility that I, I did it well and I enjoyed it, but then it became a very different experience. And again, I'll share with vulnerability with your global audience. I really had a hard time trying to think what else can I possibly do? 
And I, I talk about this quintessential meltdown of really doubting myself and, and losing my self-confidence. Happily, some incredible people in my life, women and men, some were family members and some were coaches and mentors and even sponsors that helped me figure out what that next path was, helped me peel back the layers to understand what else I did. Singing opera is something that I do, but it didn't define who I am. And through that experience, I learned that I have other skills and, and passions. And interestingly, I, I accidentally fell in love with the career development journey, which is one that I've now been on for 20 years. And I help other people navigate their careers and I absolutely love it. So I feel very fortunate to have gone through that process with people that helped me on that path. That's amazing. That's, um, <laughs> we have quite a bit of a, a similarity in that. The only difference is that, so I was in a death metal band. <laughs> so very different kind of singing or, or screaming. I knew it was supposed to be a side hustle. So it wasn't supposed to be like a main hustle from in the start, but it was, I could really see it was a passion. I really enjoyed it, you know, but like you said, you know, I was putting more into it than I was uh, getting out. And I guess it was easier for me to admit that it wasn't the path that I wanted to ultimately go down. The thing is with performance arts, especially with something like heavy metal or, you know, opera singing, you know, you get so much um, energy from uh, the audience and you know like people really start people who become fans they start to really like what you're doing and you know you're you feel so fortunate um, for that exchange of energy but the truth is that many other fields you know there's like a very small percentage of people that succeed unless you're in pop music most of the time it's much harder for women to get to that top tier and definitely in heavy metal you know death metal whatever those kind of hard rock kind of areas it's very much that case you know it's like it's much more acceptable for men to succeed so one of the things that you talked about in your TEDx talk um was about the transferable skills you know i completely relate to that you know when i was listening to that i was like you know i feel like i have brought a lot of transferable skills from the time that i performed in front of 2000 people with um, we were supporting a band called hate breed which is an amazing band and you know the kind of those are all skills you know and the mistakes that i made on stage you know the the things that i had to do in dealing with um, band members all that stuff those are all transferable skills I feel sometimes that women maybe don't get as many opportunities to experience those intense levels of what you were doing, what I was doing was very intense. And I feel like not many women get that opportunity to test so many waters. Um, so in that sense, maybe there is a bit more challenge for women to develop those transferable skills. What's your experience and views on that? You know, so I think, often women take their transferable skills for granted and they don't realize how marketable they are. So let me go back and just share a story about what I learned about myself. Like you, I love an audience. I love to connect with people, whether it's a virtual audience like we have today or in person post pandemic. I'm sure you and I can't wait to get back in front of a live audience, but I realized that communication ability to be in front of an audience is something that I do well and I enjoy. And, and I say that with humility, right? We worked hard to achieve that skill, 
but that's transferable off of the operatic stage. Now I'm, I'm singing a new tune, I'm sharing a different message, but my passion for communicating with people is still very much alive. I also realized that as a performer, even though I had agents and managers, I was always promoting what I did, marketing, promotion. It, it's almost like advertising what you do well so others can find you. Those marketing skills are very transferable in, in every field. And I think about the women that I work with uh, as an executive coach, they often take for granted what they do very well because they do it so easily that they don't realize how valuable those skills are. Uh, I also discovered that I write well and it's part of uh, how I communicate. And of course, you know, earning a master's degree, you learn how to write in an academic way, but I never thought of myself as an author to, to write a book until I had the courage to put that pen to paper or type out uh, that, that full book. And it made me realize that I had skills I wasn't using. And, and that's the message to the women that are listening. Really think and, and also ask others in your circle of trust, what do you see? that I do well, because often we get stuck in our head and we can't really see what we do. Yeah, definitely. I can't agree with you more. And it's, it's quite interesting because I uh, also run a marketing agency, right? So, so two different things that I'm doing, I'm building this think tank for women in business technology and uh, the uh, Fempeak platform that we're building. That takes a lot of marketing skills, but I'm very lucky because um, I already have a marketing agency, but all of that came from learning about marketing my band and, and getting the resources that I needed to, to get in front of people's eyes. So, so that's a very good actually point that, that women do have a lot of transferable skills, but maybe they don't know it or they don't uh, market it well. One of the things that has come to my attention from talking to a lot of heads of large corporations, they're saying that when we put out a job advert, women will only apply for it if they are 110% qualified for it, whereas men tend to apply for it if they are 70% qualified for it. I'm one of those people that I've always felt like I've applied for things or, or started things when I was like 50% ready, you know, because I was like, it's okay, I can fail, I can make mistakes, I will learn, but, but you know, I'm just going to do it. And, and I did fail. I failed many, many times. I, you know, this, the think tank and the women in business and technology is probably my 10th entrepreneurial you know, pursuit. So, so there's so many other things I did that failed, but people don't see that, right? And, and it's like, how do you learn to fail well? Because to me, I feel like that's, an, that's a skill in itself. How can we teach more women, uh, young girls, any women of any age, to not be afraid of failing. So the, the trick is obviously to fail within the range. Like basically it's like an elastic band. You need to, uh, to stretch it to a point that it's about to snap, but not snap, right? And that's a fine balance. So what are some of the things that you learned about how to fail well? I was very fortunate in that I learned how to fail well early because in the world of the performing arts, you are constantly auditioning that's our interview process. And if you land a role in an opera company, you have that job for about six to eight weeks, and then you're looking for your next job. So the long-term engagement 
is, is short, right? We call it a gig in, in the musical world. You know that term. And it's very rare that you have year-long contracts. So the ratio at the height of, of my singing career, you would audition 13 times before you would land a role. Right, so you just got used to that and that was the norm because competition was fierce. So I developed a thick skin, but then I, I, I've been working with so many women who, as you noted, are deeply fearful of failure. And, and the reason why men will get the job more often than women is because of that willingness to take a risk and to understand that the employer is looking for their potential. It's very rare that anyone is 100% suited for a role. If they are, typically it's, it's wired, right? The role was created for them and they're not gonna hire mm -hmm. anybody else anyway. Good for mm -hmm. them, that's lovely, that happens. But the whole point of taking on a new opportunity is learning. So I like to, to use the term, Somi, fail forward. You know, this mm -hmm. started in Silicon Valley in California with the myriad of startup organizations and the philosophy was, and this is, you know, 10, 15 years old now, that if, if you're not on your second or third iteration of what you started with, nobody's going to fund you. Nobody's going to back you. You're not going to get a board of directors. You've got to fail a few times to prove that you're, you've got some street credibility. Yeah. And, and I always share with women, what's the worst that could happen? If you mm -hmm. fail, the story that you can tell about what you learned and how you recovered and how you are resilient is, is brilliant. And frankly, a way to show your strength and your conviction. I, I ask that in interviews, tell me how you failed. And, mm -hmm. and I wanna know. And, and it's really interesting to see how people respond to that question. I see it as a sign of strength. Yeah, definitely. Now, when it comes to this, and I talked about this in my book too, and I do really need to get my hands on, uh, on your book. You've got such an amazing speaking voice as well. Uh, and I would really love to hear you sing. I, I don't know. Is there anything I can find somewhere? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a CD or you can YouTube me. There's some stuff out there. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, definitely. So there are young women who are going on social media who are going on maybe the likes of Instagram and seeing you know, Kylie Jenner or whatever, you know, and they're like, oh, this influencer, that influencer, you know, look, she just started a YouTube channel and she built a multi-million dollar or a billion dollar, you know, business out of it. And they think that because it's a, it's a availability heuristic, right? And so, so it's like, they think that that's the norm or, or that like you can just start and, and it will just happen like that. Basically, what I see, especially with women, but also young, young men as well, with um, people who are watching everybody who is on uh, you know, the likes of Logan Paul and, and things like that. You know, it's like, how do we keep a balance between not being afraid of failing and really reaching for the stars, but fully preparing and, and like knowing that it's going to be a difficult journey. It's going to be a hard journey. So I, I, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of young women, and I've had people, I've hired people who have worked in my team, who have shown that sign of depression, you know, thinking that uh, I haven't achieved anything in my life. I'm like, you're 23, <laughs> you know, like you've got so much time, right? And it's not just about people who have time. Some people may be, you know, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and it's just about keeping a level of level-headedness, essentially, right? Like basically critical thinking, what I call, how can we balance critical thinking with being achievement-oriented? 
so let me back up a little bit. I'm going to answer you with two, two themes. The first, I believe it's important for each and every listener to define success on her terms. Yes. Because for, for decades, success globally was defined as power and money and prestige. Now, if that resonates with anybody, great. I, I'm not judging. But I am saying that each woman has an opportunity to define success on her terms. And it might be flexibility. It might be creativity or when we're allowed to travel again, travel, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. Uh, or, or it might be having your own business and, and having that control over your career journey. So first, giving yourself permission to define success. And if you aspire to that superstardom, that's great. You know, I'm not squelching mm -hmm. anyone's enthusiasm. But I think it's also important to give yourself permission to say, my version of success may be very different than someone different else's. Different than someone else's, that's yes. number one. Okay, that's and one thing, yeah. The second, I think, is, is a philosophy uh, that's trending now, and I want to credit Reshma Shaujani, who wrote a beautiful book called Brave, Not Perfect. And it's a, it's a wonderful concept that if we're brave and we try things and we fail, that's okay. But I think one of the phenomenons that is a result of social media, right? It's all about what do we look like? Are we physically active? Are we fit? Are we, you know, that ideal version of perfection, whatever that cultural ideal is, that it's debilitating, especially yes. for some women and particularly young women, right? I mean, we even see this happening with our young girls. So brave, not perfect gives all of us permission to be authentic and, and honor what's important for us and be able to discern what you value and, mm -hmm. and not necessarily what the world puts out there. I applaud social media. It's a great way for me to share uh, news with my, my global audience and to market, but I have to be careful not to get sucked into the dangerous part of comparing yeah. myself to other people. That's it. Yeah. The keyword there is compare, right? Like not comparing yourself with anybody else. That said though, Caroline, one of my biggest goals in life is to actually, I would say this is like my mission in my lifetime. I want to see the female equivalents of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and, you know, Elon Musk and things like that. Why? Because I feel that the future of humanity is being decided by technology. And there are 10 technology firms in the world, five in the US and five in China, basically deciding the future of humanity. And there's not a single woman in that picture. And there are many, many things. Elon Musk wants to put us on, on Mars. But when I look at, there are so many problems we still have for women, especially. I don't want, you know, women to go to Mars when they are still dealing with the problem of menopause, you know, like I really want to solve those problems, you know, like there are so many biological things. I know that you are not a biologist or uh, a doctor, but this is a question I ask everybody that I interview. I'm like, you know, the fact that uh, we have a period, menopause, childbirth, you know, all the different things that affect women's uh, the quality of their life. I know that many people would agree it's in, the, uh, in a positive way. And yes, I'm sure the jo joy of having children, I decided not to, you know, but I'm sure the joy of having children is, is an incredible experience. But if there was a way 
to uh, that science could help us to do that in a way that wouldn't be so painful to women. And it's like, you know, I always say, so this is a question. I'm like, for example, the fact that I get a period every month, to me, that's a bug in evolution, not a feature. Because if I'm not going to have children every month, why am I getting a period every fucking month? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so these are the things that I, to me, I feel like I'd love to hear your views on that. But, but what I want to see is a world where we empower women to ask those questions and to go into scientific fields and to raise enough money to be able to research these things. And like, you know, for example, the, for me, menopause is a terrible faith for women. Why? Why do I say that? Because just by having that, it's like it puts a, a shelf life or like a limit. I see men going on dating apps, right? And they put a date, the date of like, I, I'm not going to see, like, I don't want to see women from above this age. And I'm like, why? But like, you are 60 years old and you're like putting like your starting age, you're putting at like late 20s, you know, how is that fair? Or how is that okay? I just think that all of these things are putting, they are limiting the ability of women to enjoy, to enjoy life experiences for longer in a more, in a fuller way. So I'd love to hear your views on that, but, but I'd really like to see women at that level. And, and if we don't have enough women who are going to reach for the stars, we are not going to get enough of them going for it. So first, let me say, I'm with you 100%. And, and like you, I decided not to have children. And I love that you use that word because so many people who don't know me assume that I had trouble, that I couldn't have children. And it was a conscious choice for me. Now, quite honestly, I don't know whether I could have or not because I had always decided I did not want them. But my point is, it was my decision. And I'm, I'm still very comfortable with that. It's not that I don't like children. It was just not my personal choice. And, and I feel often a social stigma with that, right? Yeah. Not from women, often from men that yes. look and say, well, why didn't you have children? That was your social obligation. And I think, okay, let's not even go there. That's a whole other conversation. But I hear you. I think it's a very double standard, a very specific double standard for women who have a shelf life. Let's look at um, the TV news scenario, right? So anchor women age out at about 40, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where the gentleman in the same anchor seat can become gray and he's the silver fox and he's handsome. God forbid the woman, right, is looking her age. So mm -hmm. there's a terrible double standard and it doesn't have anything to do with our brains or our capabilities. It has to do with that ideal image of youth. And I think it's so important for all of us as women to band together and say, that's ridiculous, right? Yes. We can go longer and stronger. And the data shows us that women outlive men, right? Yeah. So isn't that yeah. ironic? Because yeah, but outlive. But, but like then you're having like a lower quality of life. If you're an older woman, you're a witch. You know, like, like people use those terms in business, especially if you're like, you know, go-getter or... And, and women are marginalized as they age, right? But, but to your point in the beginning, right? I agree. We want the women version of Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Elon Musk. Absolutely. And that, that's going to happen when women continue to rally women, but more importantly, to support and sponsor women. So I, I talked about mentors that I've had, but sponsors are different. They're going to put their reputation on the line and 
put you up for promotion or that special project or that opportunity. And women need female sponsors and more importantly, they need male sponsors who are going to endorse us and recommend us. That shift isn't going to happen until we bring men into that equation to help move us forward. Now, the, the good thing, if we just look at very simple math, there are more women in the workforce now than we've ever had in the history of the world. So that's a good thing. There are more women who are um, becoming educated, whether through experience or through university, and there are more women in the workforce. So that's a positive, and I'm encouraged by that. But we need to continue to elevate women. Women need to be on boards of corporate and nonprofit organizations, and women must be in leadership roles. Exactly. Now, uh, actually, on that, um, I'm, I'm basically turning this into a bit of a coaching session. So I'm asking you for coaching, <laughs> you know, essentially. Um, so I'm thinking about as a female entrepreneur in my business, I'm usually very good with dealing with male clients, all that stuff. But when it comes to this particular business or this model uh, slash social enterprise, um, when I reach out to men and I say, we are doing this conference, you know, like, I would like you to be on the panel and I want to talk to you. I would say eight out of 10 men, their responses, they don't even read the full email. They just, their responses, I'm not a woman. And they shut me up down and I'm like, okay. Um, it's just been so challenging and, and you know if you're a man listening to this you know like i just really want people to understand that we cannot change this narrative uh, you know with one gender so i have come to the conclusion that maybe majority of men don't want it i don't know maybe they don't want to change this narrative because i've had people people that i thought for many many years that I know for a very long time that I thought they were very, going to be very supportive. They've been asking me, but why does it matter to you to have a female version of Steve Jobs? Most women, they say, don't want that. You know, they want family. They just want to focus on, on their family. And the truth is, it's very, very hard to have, you know, family and children and, and be like the CEO of, um, I don't know, Goldman Sachs, you know, like, and, and it's not like there are women who are making those strides, but, the, but it's far and few in between. So what should I say to men to get them to support this? How do we change that? I agree with you that we need to change the narrative. And, and isn't it sad that so many men assume that more women want to be at home raising children? And that's a noble cause. So I, I must say that that's important. And I do believe that a woman can have a high powered role and still raise family. However, she needs help, right? Because you just can't do it all. And it might be that her partner or her spouse is picking up that responsibility because years ago, right? Let's even say 20 years ago, it was the man who was earning the salary for the family and the woman was home taking care of children. So why can't that be reversed, right? Or if there's outside care or additional family care. I do believe the most important pivot here, Somi, is going to be our younger generation. I think it's mm -hmm. going to be our millennial leaders and Eventually, once they, they get to the point that they're, they're grown-ups in the workforce, even our Gen Z, I'm Generation X, and I think some Generation X men are enlightened and interested in this cause, and I don't want to vilify our older gentlemen, 
but I think our, our baby boomer generation, it's just so beyond their scope and their comprehension, and they're so set in their ways. They're not bad. This is all they know, right? So we have to just work with what we've got. So to your point earlier, I feel your pain. You call, you contact, you email 10 men, and, and eight of them say, why would I do this? This is the women's event. So go yeah. to the two who respond and say, tell me more, right? Because mm. they're worth investing your time and your energy. Yeah, and I do that. I do that. But it's been so challenging because people often ask, like, how did you find me? Well, through LinkedIn. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's the bottom line, right? You know, that's what, like, um, you know, I'm a LinkedIn top voice in the UK three years in a row for a reason because I know how to use LinkedIn. So I found you on LinkedIn. The issue is that we are trying to get more women interested in business and technology and leadership and entrepreneurship, you know, science, all that stuff. There is a much smaller pool of people when I, you know, put in categories of like, say, nanotechnology, you know, there's going to be a smaller pool of women, right? So I need to be able to engage with those men to be able to, through them, you know, to, to try and increase. It's been really eye-opening how difficult it has been. I just wondered whether, is there something in my communication? You know, is there something I need to do? I went through a very bad breakup October 2019, and that's when I came up with the idea to start this movement because I felt that I had to choose between my career and, and a relationship. Even though I decided not to have children, I still had to make that choice. And that was, you know, it was a very sad decision to make. And I felt that so many women are put to, uh, in a place where they have to make that choice. And often they go for family because they have kids. And I was like, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to just do it. And, and I feel, you know, what you said about men say when they see somebody in their thirties, you know, they're like, why don't you have children? There's like something wrong with you, you know? And I've had, I've been on dates where I've had to like argue with people because they were like, why do you not want children? And I was like, well, I don't, you know, because, because I want to do all these other things. And there are so many women who are having children and there's no shortage of children in the world. You know, There's a real danger, you know, it's like, I find that I keep having to choose my words carefully, but at the same time, I want to push it to the edge. And I'm like, I even question, do we really need women to have to go through motherhood in terms of, you know, like uh, having children in the womb. What if we had the option, you know, imagine if we had like a our artificial womb, like a glass, right? And every morning we woke up, you know, me and my partner and we would look at it and we're like, oh, look, you know, it's growing, you know, it's kicking rather than it being in my stomach kicking, you know, and me like throwing up, like, why, why are we not questioning how science could change those things? Right, right. Right, because when you think about it, and again, I've never been pregnant, so I'm, I'm just speaking about this anecdotally from friends and families who have given birth, right? So my impression is that for nine months, your body is really disrupted as a woman, right? Yeah. And then, of course, you give birth, and there's a healing, my goodness. And if you have a cesarean, that's a major surgery, right? So, so women go through a lot to have yeah. a child, right? And, and I also hear these heartbreaking stories about women who are struggling with infertility and, and not to diminish that experience for a male partner if there is a male partner in that scenario but I think the woman experiences something very different right and and that kind of emotional physical and mental debilitation impacts your life right so I agree with you uh, women sacrifice a lot to bring children into the world you know you mentioned also um how some men will, will look at women in their 30s and say, why don't you have children? I've seen this in interviews as well, 
where men, you know, have this sidebar conversation. Well, should we hire her? Because she's soon to have children and she'll go on a maternity leave. And, you know, first of all, that's terrible discrimination, right? It's highly inappropriate. We need to change the narrative where we're not punishing women for having children or not having children. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and all I'm saying is like, it needs to be optional. And, you know, uh, it, it has to be optional. Here's the thing. What did Elon Musk do? He basically, he, he, he's very clever. I really, I'm in awe of what he's done. Basically, he, he was really interested in creating a computer on a, uh, a massive uh, battery. And he was like, how can I make it sexy? So let's make it into a car, right? Now, I feel like I need to do something like that with, with everything to do with women's you know, situation. When you think about the, the advancement in fertility, right? And, and you know, we, we talk about the quintessential test tube baby, right, from, from years ago. I think the technology is moving in that direction. And, mm-hmm. and I will say, as a sidebar, I know women who have made it a conscious choice to adopt because, uh, one, they felt it was a good thing to do, right, to, to save a child in need and, and create a forever home and a, and a family and a, a loving environment, but also it didn't impact them physically, right? Yes. So it gave them the liberty to, to not have that time span of being pregnant and post-childbirth where they were having a difficult time. So that's an interesting, interesting model. Definitely. So, um, of course, we are going to have you on the panel and we will hear what you've got to say about, you know, women and, and uh, future of work. But have you done much research on the impact of technology on the future of work for women? Because from my research, I could see that was, you know, when I was writing the book, I was like, it seems like all of my references are male. You know, when I looked at the references of my book, they were all male. And one thing that came to my uh, attention was that it seems like uh, these technologies are going to impact women most. I have very feelings about that. So, um, one, digital literacy is a, a deal breaker, right? If anybody out there does not have the very basics of digital literacy, they they will have a very difficult time in the world of work. And I think there is a, a misnomer, a fallacy that coding uh, makes you technology proficient. Coding's fabulous and essential and a wonderful skill set, right? And there's so many things in the world of information technology. But the reality is technology is all around us. So we first heard of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Now we're hearing of STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art and math, right? So technology is infused in everything we do. And I think there is a population of women that's still very reticent and very nervous about technology. And I say to all of those listeners, women, embrace it, learn it. It doesn't mean you have to be a coder, right? But think about how technology can change your life. I mean, everybody can pick up their phone while they're listening and look at the dozen apps that they have on their phone that might have transformed their life from any number of way, in any number of ways. And here's where, where women can make an impact, right? To your point, how do we make our lives better? right? How do we focus on what women need and think about those ideas? You don't need to be the technologist to create the back end of that application, but we need those creative thinkers, those women, to come up with ways that will change our lives and our world for the better. 
Yeah, definitely. One of the things that uh, it doesn't hurt knowing a little bit of coding, you know, it's one of the things like I'm, I'm teaching myself Python and going back to, I was never good at math at school. I'm teaching myself algebra. It doesn't hurt knowing those things. You know, I've had to like, even something simple as like setting up the MX records for my emails, you know, like these are things that I didn't know how to do before, you know, so, so I pushed myself to learn those things. And you know what, there are YouTube channels for all of those things, you know, just like you go and, and, and there is no discrepancy or, or I don't know if that's the right word, but essentially what I'm trying to say is like, if I go and watch those things, then I can't watch a makeup tutorial. Actually, no, I do. I, you know, like there's no, because, you know, I still need to know maybe how to wear an eyeshadow because I like to, because I like to look good, you know? There is nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with having both, you know? Like I spent a lot of time watching tutorials about writing code or, or learning, you know, how to set up this and that, you know, like all these email marketing things that we are doing. So I've had to learn all of those things. So it's not like it doesn't take anything away from your femininity to do that kind of thing, but it's really important the other thing is, I would say, uh, reading books since my breakup, since like October 2019, I have not watched a single um, TV show, uh, movie, Netflix, nothing. I just went into like an abstinence. I felt like before that, anything I was watching was because my partner was, my ex-partner was like in media and I, I was around it i had to i'd rather spend that time watching ted talks maybe you know listening to audiobooks listening to podcasts about stem research or and and you know all that stuff right problem is like when you go to something like instagram you know when you're as a woman even for me as somebody who shows not you know very very little interest in like i don't go actively search for any kind of show me how to make my butt, uh, you know, like firmer kind of, you know, like, but, but everything I see is just like loads of videos of women training their butt. And I'm like, can I see something else? Why is like the whole of Instagram, you know, the algorithm is obsessed with showing me, you know, either makeup videos or women training their butt because that's what men want. We need to change that. And I'm thinking as we are building this new platform that like, I don't want our algorithms to be like that. But then the question is, does that mean that nobody's going to want to use it? I don't know. Like we need to change the way, the mentality. Like we, I want to get more women interested in science, technology, knowledge. How do we do that? Well, I have some thoughts and, and I love that you compared it to the DIY videos, right? The do it yourself. And I think if we, we all approach this as a lifelong learning opportunity, you don't necessarily have to go back to university and earn a full-on degree. And, and by the way, I agree with you completely about coding. It, it's an incredibly important skill. However, I think it scares some women to think, I, I'm not a technologist if I'm not a coder, and, and that I disagree with. But can't we all think about how are the, the micro-credentials that we can learn or the small skills? And and I hear you about Instagram and Facebook and, and the social media sites because they're also populated by advertisers who are selling their product or their service. LinkedIn, and, and I, I love LinkedIn, and you've leveraged it so beautifully. I mean, I think it's 900 million members around the globe. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. And I look at LinkedIn learning, these micro tutorials and, and modules and videos, and I love your hunger for constantly learning. 
whether it's videos or podcasts or TED Talks or books or audiobooks, right? How can we stimulate our brains and yeah. constantly learn new things? And candidly, this is the way the world of work is evolving. You know, even the job in the advertising agency two years ago is entirely different soon to be in 2021. So that savvy professional needs to keep in front of how that world of work is changing. And I think women can be really smart and proactive yeah. by taking these bite-sized pieces of information and constantly learning and improving. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So final word, let's talk about leadership. So we talk a lot about, I think we need more women in the top tier. You know, we need more women. Like I said, people ask, well, why do you want that? Why, why do we need it? And I'm like, you know what? I want it, you know, <laughs> because I want it. I want yeah. to see that. Like, you know, you can't stop me from not, you know, from, from, from wanting that, you know, that's what I want to see in my lifetime. That's what I'm going to campaign for. I'm going to, you know, make that happen as much as I can. But there's a danger when we talk about leadership that people think you're bypassing. People think like, if I'm going to go after leadership, so it means that I'm going to bypass all of the steps in between. I think people don't have a realistic view of leadership. I think, you know, they think like, so I'm going to put myself in a position of leadership and then I'll be able to tell other people what to do. But actually one of the things that makes good leaders is being, uh, having the ab ab uh, ability to see the big picture, but also to see the smallest problem, the smallest mistake, you know, like yesterday I discovered a very, very simple thing that, um, you know, that one of my uh, team members was doing wrong. And if I hadn't noticed it, it was going in a really bad direction. And it would like, all of a sudden it's a domino effect. I wouldn't know that if I didn't have the, uh, uh, the technical skill to be able to do that. I, I did that thing myself at first for a very long time. And I wonder whether this pressure of, uh, you know, social pressure for women to, excel and then have children have family you know all of those things it's not creating enough of a, a space for them to practice all of those you know steps so let me give you an example so in our area as a filmmaker usually if you are a, a producer director it means that you don't necessarily have to operate the camera you don't necessarily have to be able to edit right many women are attracted to producing because they feel that there's no need for the technical skill of, you know, I don't need to know about ISO and, and white balance and, you know, like uh, focus and all uh, composition. I just tell my crew, my team, you know, but actually I taught myself all of those things. I could easily, you know, there are many, there's been many, many times like during the lockdown, I had to go to France and Germany to film something and I couldn't take a big crew with me. So I just had to just rough it and do it. But if I didn't know those things, so having the ability to learn, going back to your initial conversation of, you know, transferable skills, to challenge ourselves to do a lot of things. Like I, I do all of the DIY in my house. You know, I, you see that thing, I put it together myself and it was, it had clearly, it had the picture of two men on it. It was like it to be built by two people, but it was like the, the shape of two men. And it was so heavy and I made mistakes. It took me a whole day to build it. But, you know, I do drilling. I do, I build all of my cabinets, all of these things. How can we 
encourage that like how can we bring that spirit and you know some some people tell me this is why you need to have children because then you would need to, you could teach that to your children i don't necessarily agree with that i think like you know i could hopefully teach many other younger women and not just young women to, to change that so what's your views on those uh, steps that take us to leadership you know and how can we help more women gain those skills well, first, I'm with you 100% and that I want more women in leadership roles too. And I think even though that is enough for you and me, it's important to, to note to this global audience that the research tells us that women are excellent leaders. And the way that they're different from men is that they're brave in that they can be empathetic and caring. And empathy is very simply defined as being able to put yourself into someone else's shoes. And there's a relatability there and a wonderful ability for women to communicate. And here's the key, we are excellent listeners. And again, not trying to vilify men, men are great. They're not always good listeners. And there's a difference than being a passive listener to being an active listener. Women are also creative problem solvers, right? Think about that beautiful piece that you built. It took you all day, but you figured it out. Even though the instructions were probably not great, maybe there was a missing part, you figured out how to make it happen. Those are great leadership attributes. I also uh, would challenge the person that said, oh, you should have children so you can teach them these things. You're teaching women all over the world these important skills. That's incredibly valuable. And, and men as well. So I think your influence is incredible and global. So cheers to you. But, but here's why we need more women in those roles. We need women to have the courage to raise their hand and say, I want another opportunity. Back to your conversation earlier, Somi, you said men are more willing to apply for a job that they're not 100% ready for. They're also very willing to say, hey boss, I want a raise, I want a promotion. I want to try that new challenge. And women need to have the confidence and the bravery to say, I'm ready for that promotion, or I'm interested in that role, or let's talk about how I can move forward. We don't say it enough. And even if we're entrepreneurs, and you and I are entrepreneurs, I've got a day job and a, and a very vibrant side hustle. So it's a different ratio in my world. But you've got to take those risks as well and be willing to put yourself out there. That's the message that you and, and I can help spread to our women around the world. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of side hustle and, and your day job, how do you communicate that to the people that you work with? Are they okay with that? Because that's, that's one of the questions I get a lot. People are like, I want to build a side hustle. How do I talk to my boss about it? I was really clear in the interview process. And I will say with humility, I was, I was recruited for this current role that I've been in a little over a year. And I said, you know, I have a very vibrant side hustle, a consulting practice. I have a global podcast. And I said, not only is that relevant to this job, but it gives me a, a global presence, right? As a, as a thought leader in the field of, of career development and the world of work. So I said, it makes sense, right? It aligns with this work, but it's also extremely important to me. So essentially I said, it's a deal breaker. This is something that I will continue to do. And happily this organization applauded that and supported me. If they didn't, it probably would not have been a role I pursued. Yeah, definitely. Because one of the things that I'm trying to encourage more women who are in the, those roles is like, don't take it as like 
be all and end all. You know, like you need to like really build your own personality, your own profile, your own you know audience. I don't necessarily mean that everybody has to have a global audience. It's like just some. You need to have something else because that that's like an additional. Another bow in your arrow, in a way, you know. I really hope it's been a great conversation. I really hope that we encourage uh, more women. The only thing I would say, there are two things that are kind of my concern. One is people often say, okay, you can do all of these things because you don't have kids, you know, but I have kids and I've got, you know, a family and uh, it's easy for you to say that. Often when I, when I hear that, I feel like I don't have a good answer for that because, I, you know, you're right and it's, it is a choice I made. But I still think that if there is a chance to opt out of one entertainment, you know, one kind of opportunity and, and instead use that opportunity to teach yourself something you know, you will, because what, uh, increasingly we see, you know, we are all living longer thanks to technology. We are living better lives, right? So you get to your 50 uh, and your children have gone in, uh, to college, you know, and your, your husband's still continuing to work and the kids are gone now and they've got their own lives. So you want to have a vibrant, you know, another 50 years, another 60 years of life. Why not, right? So you don't want to be old for a long time. And so I mean, what I would add to that, because I work with so many women who do have children and they share those struggles. And often they'll say to me, oh, you have it so easy, you don't have kids. Mm -hmm. and, and I get it. I, and while I understand what they're going through, I can't sympathize on a personal level. But I will say to that woman and to all of our women listening, you don't have to do it alone. Lean on your partner or spouse if you have one, right? Or lean on your community and think about how you can pay it forward to help someone else and accept that help. I think often women are very stoic and they don't want to accept help and they think that they need to do it all alone. And you can't, right? I, I liken it to Sheryl Sandberg, who, you know, decades ago raw, wrote the then groundbreaking Lean In. And she said, I couldn't have this career if I didn't have a partner who supported me. And yeah. sadly, we know her, her husband died. But I know for a fact that she leans on others to help. I mean, her boys are, are older now. But at the time, she said, I can't do it alone, nor should you yeah. have to. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing, because I said two things, the other thing was that People often tell me, oh, Somi, but you know, you're an extraordinary person. You know, you've got all this energy. I feel uncomfortable when people say you're an extraordinary person because by saying that, you're telling me that whatever it is that I'm suggesting is not achievable to everybody because, you know, I appreciate that, you know, a lot of people say it in a very positive way. But, but the truth is sometimes use those terminologies and by using them, we are like, okay, so I wash my hand off that, you know, so it's not me, you know, like I'm not gonna, I don't have the energy. Actually, you know what? I use so many supplements. I, you know, I do so many things. Like I, I track my sleep. I'm aging like everybody else, right? You know, and, and I have a limited energy as well. I've just made it my priority to harness my energy within however I can. I'm going to share a story about that. So last year, pre-pandemic, I was uh, on a leadership panel of women. This was in the United States, and, and many of the women were at the C-suite in their respective organizations. And to a person, the moderator was asking, you know, what really keeps you going? What's important? And every woman said, I prioritize my wellness. I get sleep. I exercise. Now, it doesn't mean that they're a Peloton master or an Olympian, you know, marathoner, 
whatever that means to them. But they said, this is the only body I've got. So I yeah. really control what I put in it, how I use it. And sleep was the universal healer. I mean, really think about it. Sleep is so important to me. Every night, our body heals and replenishes and recharges. Sleep is, is something that I hope all of our listeners will focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I used to think otherwise, you know, I used to think, oh, I can sacrifice sleep, you know, so that I can work better. And it was such a huge mistake. And now I have a, a private GP. I've made it a priority, right? And, you know, however you make it, you know, you just need to think, read books about it. I woke up this morning and I saw, because I, every morning I wake up, I look at my sleep score from, from the, the ring, you know, and I was like, 91, yes, you know, <laughs> you know my readiness level. Like, I take a picture of it, you know, I send it to my friends, you know, I'm like, yes, this is a great day, you know, and there are days that it's not like that. I know that I need to make up for it. The lesson, you know, the takeaway lesson is don't just by calling somebody, oh, you're extraordinary, or, you know, you've got too much energy, or, you know, you're, you're different. Don't, it's not acceptable. You know, we all have, like, if I show you a picture of my mom and, you know, my aunties, basically I've got, I've got aunties that will not get through this door. You know, they're all obese. Oh, like obesity is in my genes. You know, I was, uh, I, I'm an indromorph. I can get fat really quickly. But when people see me, they think, oh, you look very athletic. Yeah, because I've worked my butt off, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. When we prioritize our health, it's not easy. I mean, I hear you 100%. And it's also not easy to prioritize that sleep, right? It'd be very mm -hmm. easy to stay up or to go out or to do whatever. I mean, it's a little different now during a pandemic. We can't go anywhere. But the reality is it takes sacrifice, right? And, and what I want to say to whoever that person is that, that had a little spin on, on calling you extraordinary, you know, don't, don't shame other people for doing great things, right? Give them permission to be extraordinary. And if you want to go there, you can do it too on your terms, right? We're not competing with each other. We have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, what do I want? What works for me? Yeah, that's, that's definitely right. I think everybody's extraordinary. Extraordinary is when you take extraordinary steps, you know, like I have ADHD, you know, I'm like, I, I had learning difficulty as a child and now I have two master's degrees in political science and philosophy of science and technology. I mean, you know, read 70 books a year. So you can overcome, you know, adversity and actually let it be the fuel of whatever it is. Just really hope that this inspires more women. And it's been great talking to you. And I really hope that for people who want to uh, access your book and want to learn more about uh, what you do, listen to your podcast. So tell them a little bit about where to find. Yeah, Sami, I appreciate that. So for anyone listening, the best place to find everything about me is my website. And, and that has the book, the podcast, the videos that I produce, the writing that I create. And that is at www caroline dowdhiggins.com and i'll spell my last name it is d-o-w-d-h-i-g-g-i-n-s caroline dowdhiggins.com that's great and i will make sure that i will um, put the link uh in the description and all that stuff and hopefully people can find you it's been amazing talking to you caroline i really enjoyed it and i look forward to having you on the panel and uh talking to you again Thank you, Somi. I'm deeply grateful. You take good care.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Caroline Higgins. Be sure to check out her podcast, Your Working Life, and get her book, This Is Not The Career I Ordered. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and any other one of your favorite podcast channels. Don't forget to give it a five-star review. You can also find the full video of these conversations on my YouTube channel and connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Clubhouse. Finally, if you're not a member of Fempeak yet, um, head over to fempeak.ai, register and join the community that actively supports women.